Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the LifeWork Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. This week on LifeWork, we've been talking about scaling up, the process of growing a business and growing yourself along the way. Today on the show, we'll be chatting with Julie Cole, who started a company in her basement, scaled it up, and just a few short weeks ago, sold it to an industry giant. Julie is the co-founding VP of Mabel's Labels, the leading provider of labels for the stuff that kids lose. The accolades are off the chart for Julie and Mabel's Labels. From 50 million labels sold in over 100 countries, celebrity endorsements like moms Jennifer Gardner, Rachel Weisz, Reese Witherspoon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Victoria Beckham, features on The View, Rachel Ray, Live with Regis and Kelly, The Today Show, The Early Show, Parents Magazine, InStyle, The Washington Post, People.com, Forbes.com, and countless other media outlets, to just recently selling the company to label industry juggernaut Avery for 12 million bucks. Julie has learned a ton along the way about herself, scaling up a business and balancing success and growth with a family. She's got six kids. Let's get to the interview. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You've got a fascinating story and we're ex- excited to dig in and explore. Um, so let's, let's go for a ride in the Wayback Machine, if we can. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you're a lawyer by trade. Yep. So a recovered lawyer. Yeah. So you're sitting there at a desk as a lawyer and something happens and this whole other life takes hold and you end up in a place maybe you never thought you would, or maybe you had that intention all, all along. Can you tell us the story of how things developed for you? Sure. So, um, you know what, I'm going to say it was a couple of things uh, that contributed to the birth of Mabel's labels. Um, one was that uh, we had, I, I started this business with three other women who I'm also related to. And um, we had this idea for a product that was missing from the market. We all had small children, infants, and, you know, we just saw we were using like masking tape and permanent marker and we were losing things. We all had the same stuff and it was getting mixed up. And we thought, gosh, there's just, there's something missing here. So we thought we need to create a really durable, a really cute personalized label that would go through the dishwasher, would go through the microwave, would be, you know, it had to be durable because it's for kids stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we thought this product was missing from the market. So that was one. We, one was we really just had a good idea. Um, and then the second thing was, yes, I was a lawyer. Um, my other business partners, we had a teacher, we had a financial planner, we had a graphics uh, person. And uh, we were all doing the traditional workforce. And my eldest child, who was three at the time, got diagnosed with autism. And at that point, I thought, okay, you know what? This uh, traditional workforce is not going to sue me anymore. I need to really focus on uh, getting his therapy, getting you know, getting him to getting down to work on this kid, and doing the best job I can for him. Um, so at that point, when I thought a legal career was no longer going to suit my family's needs, I said to the gals, "Hey, now's that time for that label company. What do you think?" And they said, "Let's do it. It's go time." That's awesome. That's awesome. And it started in in somebody's basement, right? Yeah, in, my inevitable. sister's basement. There you for go. Sure. Yeah, we started in the basement. And- you know, we just, uh, we were home with kids or doing our day jobs. And then every night we just go to her basement and make labels from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. and get up the next morning. I remember I was pregnant with my fourth kid at the time. I'd get up at 6 a.m. and do it all over again. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and, yeah. and over the course of basically, what, 13 years, everything sort of kind of unfolded from that point? Oh, for sure. Look, it was started. So we started off in that basement and then we outgrew the basement. We got a bigger basement. We outgrew the bigger basement. And then we got a commercial um, space because we actually make the labels here. We have a production Mm. facility. Mm -hmm. So we're currently in a 14,000 square foot facility and have 40 full time employees. Wow, that's fantastic. So let's let's talk through how that all developed. So obviously making labels early on, got some distribution going. I I imagine you were doing this basically the selling direct to stores or how did you how did you kind of roll it out? All web based. Okay. So it was, you know, moms would go online to mableslabels.com. They'd enter in their kid's name, figure out what package they wanted, the colors, the little picture icon, uh, hit enter. And 24 hours later, we'd have the labels out the door and on the way to our customer. And really, the growth was 
there are a couple of things that were going well in our favor. One, the market seemed to get our product. When, when people saw it, they were like, oh my gosh, I get that. I need that. So, you know, kids at daycare had it. Other parents would see it and uh, or at the park or wherever, at playgroups. And they'd be like, what have you got there? Where did you get those? So that was, um, it was a product that made sense. Also, our market is moms and moms are amazing brand ambassadors when they feel passionate about a product. We talk about products like it's our full-time job. We mm -hmm. talk about products when we're doing the school drop-off. We talk about products when we're at the hockey game watching our kids play. We talk about stuff we love and we talk about stuff we hate all the time. And we trust our influencers. We don't trust traditional advertising. So something we really had going for us was that moms loved our product and so moms were talking about a product and then for us the big the you know the big sort of come to jesus moment was when um social media emerged because what that did for us was it brought word of mouth which the moms are awesome at online so we had this new vehicle for moms to spread the word about our product because we know that women and moms own the internet like we you know we're all blogging we are on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're like, we own it. And we're, and everybody was using those channels as a way to spread the Mabel word. And, you know, we're so grateful for that. We've created an amazing online community. We have 150,000 Facebook fans. I've been blogging for 10 years. You know, we've, we've, we've really built up a strong community because we know that our market demands like a loyal market of moms demands, um, a, a relatable brand and a brand that, you know, that, that they, that they just feel connected with. They don't buy from nameless, faceless brands. They want to feel connected to the brands they spend their money on. Mm -hmm. Julie, I want to um, inter interject really quick to say, I'm pretty sure Mabel's labels was the first product I ever wrote about on my blog. I had been writing my blog for several years right. and I, I think it was 2007 and I don't even remember right. who it was. Someone sent me some in the mail. They've caught wind that I had a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember how it happened. Um, and I got them and was like, wow, these are so great. And I feel so connected with these moms and these women. I'm going to write about this. And that was the literally the first brand I ever wrote about it. I just never That's had, amazing. it was never really That's something amazing. I'd done. Megan? Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because we, um, something we did do early on is we did blogger outreach, but I, we, we did it right. You know, mm -hmm. you see, I mean, cause obviously I get pitches too, cause I'm a blogger. And, you know, you get the Dear Mommy blogger or whatever. Yeah. Like from the very beginning, what we did was before we reached out to a blogger, we read their blogs. We knew their children's names. We, you know, and so we would send them some labels and say, hey, I see little Jack is starting J uh, kindergarten next week. We thought maybe he would like these. If you want to work together or do something, if you love the product, please let us know. We just love your blog. You know, so we just really, it was about relationships. It yeah. wasn't about you know, that hard sales stuff. It and you were really a, one of the good business. You were really one of the first brands who did it well, I think. Really and that grassroots. And we actually had, you know, I had like Disney and McDonald's, like all these big, big corporations calling me saying, can you teach me how to do that? Right. Because <laughs> they just, and for us, for a small company, it made so much sense because it was something we could afford. Yeah. Right. Like I couldn't afford to put ads in parents magazine or anything like that. What I could do is I could send some labels to bloggers who, you know, might write about us. And then it's more authentic anyways, because you, you know, a, as an influencer, your readers, they, they listen to you. Mm -hmm. So it made sense to us yeah. and, it, and it worked. Yeah. What's interesting about this is we're talking about the, the idea of technology, right? So the, the social media side of things, the web itself, the interaction of people on the web the conversations that were happening there was the driver of this. I mean, last week on the show, in episode, I believe it was 3.3, we talked about using tech to develop relationships and how important that was for you, Megan, yeah. in the early years of what you were doing as a writer. Um, now, what's so cool about the early days of a company to me is the number of hats that an individual yeah. wears. So you, <laughs> oh, now, yeah. now you had four of you, right? At the, from the start, right? There were four of right. you starting. How, how, how did that look like uh, for you? What, what, were, what were the number of hats that you were wearing at any one point in time? Right. Well, I'm going to say the four of us, most business advisors would be like, do not start a business with three other people whom you're related to. Right. So, you know, it was kind of unconventional from the start, but you know what? We went into it knowing each other really well. And the advantages were that, you know, we, we brought four very different skill sets to the table. And we also, it also meant as far as the hat division went, we could do a bit of divide and conquer. 
You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like I had to go to the bank and I had to go and source material and I had to write a press release and I, and I, and I, you know, we could divide all that up. And it, I think that really contributed to our early growth. Mm-hmm. Um, we all certainly, over the years, we've probably all managed every department at a certain time, but certainly over the last few years, we've all settled into what our niche is and, and where our strengths are and, and that sort of thing. But um yeah, it was it, it was definitely, you know, at times challenging to have four four partners, but I have to say, you know, up until like we're 13 years in and all four of us stayed with it and we we got through it with lots of feisty conversation around the boardroom table, but we had to leave that table knowing that, you know, we've got Thanksgiving dinner and who's bringing the mashed potatoes and who's bringing the stuffing and all that sort of thing and and now uh, we managed it quite well, and it took you know some real practice with our communication and and you know that sort of thing. But we um yeah we did it. We managed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and it's it's about you growing as a person alongside you growing a business. And I think that's one of the things we focused on our show is the idea of the person themselves. We think oftentimes we think of these superheroes bracing against the winds of change who start companies and the company, the company, the company, look at its scale. But the reality is there's there's people underneath who are, are coming from a place where most people are not born in from age one being taught how to scale a company, right? This is <laughs> This is something that a lot of us really learn along the way. You know, how did you, Julie, have to grow as a person for your business to grow? Like, what what oh, mistakes yeah. did you make? What did you learn along the way? Because there's a lot of people listening right now that are thinking, wow, she did something fantastic. I don't know if I could do that. You know, but, but right, every entrepreneur right. that I talk to, we all have our struggles, right? We've all started from places of insecurity and otherwise. But for you, what did you have to do to grow as a person to grow your business? Right. It, I mean, there, there definitely is that. And, you know, I am... Um, I think sometimes there, oh gosh, so many things. So um, I think, first of all, one of the hardest things that we had to do as company owners, as entrepreneurs, um, and I think generally we are all a little bit control freaky about our little babies, which Mm -hmm. are our companies. And our, like, as far as growth and kind of changing that mindset was when we, our first set of employees were worker bees. So they were the ones who were like making the labels, packaging the labels and sending them out. That was fine. Where it got tricky was when we started hiring managers and really having to let them do what they needed to do and, and pulling back and letting them make mistakes and, and not micromanaging them because obviously we had been doing everything and to let go of some of that decision making was really tough, but you have to do it. And if we didn't do it, well, our retention would not be very good. No means stick around. <laughs> Nobody wants to be micromanaged and the company wouldn't grow because the company is only as good as the people. And if you don't let them learn and don't let them do things their way, I mean, our way isn't always right. So there's a lot of kind of wrapping your head around that. You really need to, because, you know, if you're working so much in the business and you're down in the weeds and you're problem solving and putting out brush fires and doing that all day, every day, then you're not working on the business. So you need to really step back and let some people work in the business and make sure that you're doing the strategic thinking and the blue sky, because otherwise the business is not going to grow. Mm-hmm. So a big lesson there is just to, yeah, don't, not so much in, work more on the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was definitely tough. I think also what happens for, um, in, a, in a situation like this is you just suddenly get comfortable with where your business is at. And you're like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Say we've got 10 employees and we're making whatever in sales a year. And okay, I've got this figured out. And then of course that changes next thing you know, you know, you've got 20 employees and you're at the next level level of growth and planning for the next one and you're out of your comfort zone again. So as soon as you get comfortable, just get prepared to be uncomfortable again. But uncomfortable is good because uncomfortable means growth. Um, but also there's the, like, I can remember one time we had about 15 employees and we all kind of looked at each other and said, um, Hey, do you know anything about HR? <laughs> it was like, no, do you? No. Do you? So, you know, you have to get in the expertise. At that point, one of us, you know, either had to learn something and one of us did. And, uh, but we also got in um, a contractor, an HR contractor. And honestly, contractors, are the, I feel like that's something we did very smart at Mabel's Labels was when we needed help, we got it. So we, you know, we, we contracted in some help for HR to help develop our policies and and do do things like that to make sure that we weren't messing up and going to you know legal ramifications that sort of thing. Um, so it is really just as 
as you as as it grows you're just you're never going to get comfortable because as soon as you are it's gone and and that's kind of the sport of it too right that's what we're in absolutely. this game for absolutely that's the fun of it it, it what's yeah. interesting about in scaling up there's at certain points of growth you hit these plateaus where you like what you're talking about you're sort of comfortable there but then you when you grow and invest and go to that next level you have to break there's like a creative destruction that happens there's certain systems in the company the ways of policies and the ways that you do things just break the way the staff is organized has to break to to re yeah. then re uh, i guess coagulate like blood does around uh yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know like you have to remake the company at those certain points so I've, i have two questions for you around this and i'm curious to get your take on it the idea of um you talked about bringing people into managerial roles when you're scaling a company, it's very easy to say, well, I've got this person working in this role and they're kind of doing the day to day. They're, like you said, the strong worker bee. They're learning more and more. I'm giving them more responsibility. How did you make the transition or how did you guys make the decision as to who goes into a managerial role and who you had to bring in from the outside? Because quite often somebody, it's easier to promote somebody beyond what they're ready for, especially with the, I guess, the, um, the importance of that moment in growth in a company's history. Right. I think that we really tried to, you know, when you've got a company that has started so small and now is more a mid-size, we always try and think along the line of um, horses for courses. So, you know, some horses are really good on short track and some horses are better on long track. And, you know, it doesn't mean like the horse is bad um, or better. It's just sometimes um, better suited for a different size. So we've had some employees that like we had you know, a certain manager that was perfect when we were a company of 10 people. Now, could she be a manager of that department when we're a company of 40 people? No, not the right horse for that course, right? So we've tried to just really, um, and I'm, I, and certainly I, I think you make a good point. You do tend to, I think in the early days, we definitely promoted people probably out of, um, out of further along than maybe we should have. Uh, but you know what? We also did, I've got people here still who started, I'm Mabel's answering the phone and it's now like project manager mm-hmm. or like have some big jobs. A lot of people have grown in this company and we've mm-hmm. invested in our people and that's been, that's been great. But there are some people where, you know, horses for courses and they, they haven't come along with us the whole way and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and many have, many have been able to, to take many those have. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of people. We've got a good handful of people who've been here since the basement. That's that's fantastic. Well, you think yep. about like yourself as an entrepreneur, or me or Megan or anybody like the the us of ten years ago isn't the person we would hire into the roles we have now, right? right. You know, we, <laughs> exactly. Boy, I, exactly. I sure wouldn't have. It is, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. Transition though, like when you think about like I know that some of our people who are, who have been around for a long time, like, it is a big transition. Like we used to make um, decisions, you know, and they were involved, and we'd be sitting on the couch in the basement having a cup of tea, saying, "Okay, what what product do you think we should roll out next?" And now, you know, often we're in the boardroom making decisions and they're not necessarily involved. And I remember them being like, we just don't see you guys the same anymore, you know, because mm-hmm. we used to be in there making the labels with them. So, you know, that can be that can be a tough transition on some people. And that's when some people exit, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they like the old days. Sure. Yeah. They enjoy the small environment and the closest. Yeah. How, how did you um, how did you maintain? So there's a great thing that happens when you have a small team and you're nimble and you're thinking about what's next and you're thinking about how yes. you how you have to survive. Right. So there's the power of broken a little uh, kind of in there a little bit. But when you're when you're making those strategic decisions and having those coffee meetings in the basement on the couch, how do you how have you been able to take that same process of being nimble and thinking about the market and thinking about what you have to do and transition it to now you're sitting in a boardroom? Look, it's a challenge. There's no question about it. Um, and one of my partners is a very entrepreneurial thinker. And so, you know, she she actually finds now that we're the size we are, she finds the processes quite frustrating. However, if we don't have the processes in place, then we make the same mistakes over and over mm-hmm. again, right? Yep. Yep. So um, certainly while we try to be nimble still and we try to be able to roll things out, there's just far too many people involved. And when we try to rush things, we inevitably forget about an entire department or somebody who says, oh, you know what, guys, if you had told me, I would have suggested we do it this way because now in production, there's going to be a backlog with this. And, you know, so you've got to make sure you've got the, the right heads at the table when you make decisions, because mm-hmm. if you don't, it ends up biting you in the butt. And that can be frustrating if you're used to just making a quick decision and rolling with it. Um, so, yeah, when things get a little more process heavy, that can be frustrating. And I do feel like we had that. And now we've got some 
We've got a really great project manager who has a finger on the pulse of all the projects going on in the company. She can see where things are going to get clogged up in, you know, maybe in IT or in production or, you know, in the graphics department and whatever. And so she kind of keeps keeps things keeps things rolling and keeps everybody on track. Um, and yeah, we, we I mean, we have we have a very like you don't just get to roll out anything now. It has to go through a process. We used to just throw things against the wall to see if it would stick. Now there's got to be a financial plan around it. Now there's got to be market research done. But that's the point we're at because we're not in this to lose money, right? right? Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So things transition, they become different. So you you, you touched on systems and process and, and the the procedure in which you do things. How did you, how did you notice? Cause I know for most companies you start early and you're bootstrapping and you're doing what you need to do. And you yeah. might, you might in your mind go through the same process again and again and again and say, Hey, that's a system. That's a process. This is how we do it. Once you had to transition to having other people doing those things and moving to the, the level of complexity where there's a lot of interactions and different departments with that. How did you build systems into your business? Um, you know what we, uh, I'm going to say like from the very beginning, like the early days, what we always tried to do was, and this is, you know, before there were actual systems, at least we would, the very least we would do is after a project, we'd all gather and we would autopsy the project. Mm -hmm. So we would do, okay, what went well, even better if next time. And then whenever we went to roll out the next project, we would always revisit that autopsy to make sure that we didn't repeat our mistakes. Mm -hmm. Now, look, it took us a few bad projects to figure out we needed to do that, right? Live and learn. Um, But then what we ended up doing was, you know, we ended up getting uh, some training. We, you know, installed like project management systems. Everybody in the company learned them. They learned the process, uh, check-in points, all that sort of thing, and, and shared documents and we use um, liquid planner which is an online sharing system and yeah it's just really about making sure that um everybody's making their deadlines everybody's being accountable to each other the communication's happening at the right time and again having a project manager to facilitate all of that has been very very helpful for us right so you need the system you need the, the right people running the system in order to to, yeah. to scale and grow and I, we people need to understand it too like if people yeah. if the system's complicated or cumbersome people just get frustrated so you've got to find the right system for your company that suits your culture mm-hmm, for sure for yeah. sure and you can get people like i mean in the early days before we had a project manager you know we had we had a consultant come in and and interview us and talk to us and understand what our problems and our pain points were and she created something for us you know there are people out there mm-hmm. use help. them use them you can like <laughs> like you, you mean we don't have all the answers <laughs> i know and this is the thing that drives me crazy about entrepreneurs right like we yeah. try to do everything ourselves oh, and i sure. get it like i have so many friends who are like oh i'm going to do my own taxes and they spend a week doing something that would take a tax accountant an hour to do oh yeah and i get that you want to save the money i get that but you know what you could be doing with your week you could be like selling your product you could mm-hmm. be marketing you could be you know networking connecting doing all the things that are going to make you money instead you're spending a week doing taxes which like, g- which gets to the root of the idea and this is something we we sort of glossed over earlier and a lot of people ask about this how do you let go and delegate to other people how do you find people you can trust to, to do that for and, and you're getting to the root of what it means it's it's what does it mean for you and for the company what are the things yeah. that only you can do how did you personally go through that did, was it very easy for you to just to delegate to people as you as you found the right people or was that was that a yeah, struggle that you went through i think it's always going to be a bit of a struggle but for me it was fairly easy because um i don't know i think you know when people have problems with trust they actually just have to practice mm-hmm. you know if you don't trust people or you know just before you before you start at a point of, of distrust start at a point you know but having said that you do have to get the right people on the bus and for us i mean if you have an employee that is not good they cost you a lot of money Mm -hmm. and i know we learned the hard way we let people hang around too long but now we're at the point where you know we've got our company core values we integrate Mm -hmm. them into the interview process Mm -hmm. to make sure it's a culture fit and if we, we try to hire slow and fire fast pretty mm-hmm. much because yeah. if they're hanging around and they're on the bus too long, they're costing us money, they're hurting the team. Uh, you know, it just, um, it, it just brings everybody down and nobody wants anyone fired, but they do want them gone. Right. You know? right. <laughs> Think about the, co- the uh, cancerous effect of, of the wrong right. person. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I do think that, um, 
you have to you have to work really hard to get the right people on your bus and then and then you have to trust yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in your hiring process when you you know you described the idea of of hiring slow and firing faster the you know the idea of hiring hard and training easy or versus the the opposite and and choosing people that are have the right characteristics competencies and are cultural fit and those those sorts of things taking more time up front i think quite often people are hesitant to do that because this the idea of hiring is has always been this sort of voodoo science of you know somebody will sit down with you for 30 minutes and if they can fool you for that long then they get the role (laughs) and then next thing you know you discover what you actually have it sounds like you take a, a specific approach. Myself, I like to use um, sort of the approach from uh, the book Who by Jeff Smart. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that book. Um, but the, I, I literally will have this book open on the conference table in front of me right. as I'm interviewing somebody, no matter what level, and just kind of follow that process. How do you guys look at that? What are, the, what are some of the other things you guys are looking at during that hiring process to making sure you're getting a, a rock star player? Well, also, yeah, on top of, you know, obviously skills and references and 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 asking some funny questions to see how they they deal with it as from a culture perspective um the it, you know it's it, you make a really good point about almost getting tricked because for us you know you got to keep in mind when we started this this is a web-based business mm-hmm. this is like an e-commerce company and out of the four of us there's not one nerd among us like mm-hmm. we do not know anything about you know e-commerce we did not any none of us had a business degree like so when we, um, I remember thinking like our IT guys could literally tell us that um, this project will take them a week to develop or they could tell me 20 minutes. And I really don't know, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I really don't know which would be true. Um, so I think for us, we always would get, um, we'd get help if we needed to in the hiring process mm. uh, from, you know, an HR agency or whatever, we would get help. And also we had to, we had to kind of tune up our own skills. Like, you mm-hmm. know what, take a coding course, take a, just know a little something so that you can ask the right questions. This is your company, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you do need to know a few things. And even if you go into it not knowing anything, and of course you don't want to hire people. I don't want to hire people exactly like me. I want to hire people who are way smarter than me. Mm-hmm. You want know, <laughs> to be the dumbest person in that room, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't want to hire people that, yeah, I, I want to hire people that I feel like are going to be our next leaders and and our innovative thinkers and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it's uh, you know, just get the get the get the the help you need in hiring the right person if you don't feel like you can do it on your own. And mm-hmm. definitely do some learning. Do mm-hmm. some learning. You know, if you don't know a thing about finance, you know what? Take a little accounting course. Figure, you know, and you just you don't Absolutely. want somebody writing checks they shouldn't be writing. Absolutely. Yeah. My <laughs> oh, my be- my benchmark is ten percent. I like to know ten percent of everything there is to know <laughs> in, in each area, right? Yeah. Finance, yeah. marketing, HR, all yeah. that fun stuff. Julie, I'm yeah. curious when when you've done hi- made hires, if you've ever had someone, you know, the 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 person versus the role. If you've ever had someone who's hired and has been a fantastic fit for your company, but didn't necessarily fit the role you were hiring for, have you found other ways to, you know, get that person in with you? Um, Because I think that's another big thing, especially when you're just starting off and hiring is how crucial is it that this person is a perfect match for the position I thought they were going to, you know, step into, or is it more important that they're the right person for this company? Right. And you know what? It depends a lot on the role too. If I'm yeah. hiring a financial controller, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> I can't have somebody who doesn't right. know what they're doing, you know, and they got to be a good bean counter. Um, but we have absolutely hired uh, people and been like, you know what? You're so good for this company and you're so passionate and whatever. Okay. Maybe this role isn't exactly perfect for you, but we think you'd be great at customer service. How do you feel about giving them a try? Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. For sure. That's happened. And we've had, you know, we've had many people, you know, go from one department to another department. It's yeah. We, in fact, the ongoing joke at Mabel's labels, cause we've even had people leave Mabel's labels and come back or if they haven't come back, they've asked to come back. We always joke that Mabel's labels is hotel California. You can check out anytime. <laughs> you can like, never leave. Never leave. <laughs> they yeah. always come back. It's such yeah. a fun place to work. Along those lines, I'd love to back up a little bit because it sounds like you had kind of a dream team put together from day one. I mean, you had different skills represented Yep. across a variety of people who were all eager to work on this one project and this yeah. one product. I mean, that's pretty unusual. If it had been just you or just you and maybe, you know, one of those people, um, could, 
can you even imagine how it might have looked those those initial hires or how that might have changed things? Yeah, I don't. I, I really know it's very theoretical. <laughs> yeah, I just can't even imagine because we. Um, yeah, the four of us. It's been you know, it's been we've just been so it's been so important that it's been the four of us, especially in the early days when there was so much work to be done. And keep in mind, like we were having babies. Like I have six kids, right? right. So. You know, when I was at a commission for a bit, somebody else, we could all step up for each other. And you know, there's, um, I guess, 13 kids between us. And, uh, you know, we've having the four of us has been been really key in, 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 in the growth and the what the, the culture and what this company has done and become. Yeah. So there's what the business uh, consultants will tell you not to do. And then there's what your instincts told you to do, which exactly. was start a partnership with three relatives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, you know what, it was starting to get the point like 13 years on because we recently sold. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Recently like sold. Yeah. really recently, right? Last few yeah. months. Yeah. So congrats yeah. on that, by the yeah. way. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah, very exciting. Um, but it got to the point really where we needed to do something. We, you know, we were kind of the four headed horse and it was kind of like, hey, you know what? We kind of need one person in charge. So we were thinking, ah, oh, do we hire an outside CEO? Does one of us want to be CEO? Would it be weird for us to report to one of our partners of 13 years? And so we knew we had to do something. We weren't exactly sure what, uh, if we wanted to get investment anyway. So we get the call from Avery CCL, mm-hmm. uh, and they just wanted to have a chat. So we had the chat and, you know, they didn't say anything that put us off. So we just kind of kept chatting. And as it turns out, this was just the perfect solution for what this company needed at this time. And we're just, we're just thrilled with the outcome. That's fantastic. So, so Avery obviously is, is the big boy in the, the label industry, right? You know, yeah. you walk, yeah, you walk through it. any, any office mm-hmm. supply store and they're, they're all over the place. Yeah. So they own it. yeah, they own it. So when they approached you, I mean, so I have two angles on approaches from one is what was your intent when you started the business? Were you thinking, right this far along? Were you thinking sale? Were you, let's start there. Right. Okay. So I'm going to say that we probably, I mean, it's a, for me, it's a do as I say, not as I do. I always tell people <laughs> know what your exit plan is. Cause that's going to determine how you run your company. Right. Having said that, <laughs> having said that, look, I like we, we eventually would have sold. We were not probably thinking this early on. I just know that we weren't planning on it like it being a legacy business we were planning on leaving it to our kids that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so yeah we we um we certainly weren't we weren't planning on selling at this moment in time but as it turned out it ended up being the best timing ever the perfect timing yeah, yeah. so it really yeah and so back at the beginning the the idea was was the idea also to scale it up i mean obviously four of you involved at that point you're thinking okay we all need to eat still right like right. so we got to get that far um, how, how much further than that were you thinking in terms of size? Um, you know, we always had pretty aggressive growth plans. Um, and we knew, you know, there were parts of the market that we still, there was some low hanging fruit that we needed to get to. And we were, we were having a hard time figuring out certain angles and I don't know, like, I think we would have, I mean, we have, we have strategic plans for five years ahead for now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were thinking longer, longer term, but I, I don't know that, like, with the timing being so good, it, it's because I don't know that we were prepared to do what needed to be do, done to get us to the next level. So somebody else asking the conversa- asking the question at this point was the was sort of that um, that turning point, right? That crossroads moment. Exactly, exactly. So when the call came, it was just kind of like, oh, you know what? Maybe, and we've had other before even really entertain them because we didn't want Mabel's labels to get swallowed up. And that's mm-hmm. not what Avery is doing. They're, we're a tag on. The reason they want Mabel's labels is not to make it Avery. It's because they love our brand. They love what we've created. And they are so fascinated to learn about that mm-hmm. and, and see if they can leverage it in other parts of their business. And it just made so much sense for Avery. I mean, Avery labels, are you kidding me? That's the perfect <laughs> right. company to right. buy us. And we also love that we were staying in our current office. Our wasn't affecting our employees. It really is business as usual. And Avery, although they're in Brea, California, is owned by CCL, which is a Canadian company. So being a Canadian company yeah. was kind of nice to be able to say to a lot of our Canadian customers that it's yeah. still a Canadian company. That's cool. That's cool. Did yeah. did they use that angle when they when they pitched you? Um, you not? know what? It was, uh, you know, it was, it was part of the conversation for sure. Yeah. Really what it came down to was, you know, we're, 
Were they going to respect the culture? Were they going to stay here in Hamilton, Ontario? And was the price going to be right? Yeah, right. You know, like you said, there's four of us. Like, that's 25%. Mm-hmm. So we all needed to, you know, we all have families to rear and hockey registration to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. So, so along the way, did you, have, did you have mentors that helped guide you through the process? Or were you, were you guys relying oh, on each other? Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know what, we... um. We certainly were never afraid to ask um, questions. We had even our old university professors and entrepreneurs we knew. We were never, um, and I think this is key, like we were never embarrassed. We were never ashamed. We would ask anything, no matter how silly it may have sounded. So yeah, a lot of people along the way. um, And also being there for each other, the four of us, that was really key as well. I find now in the most recent years, I've got a lot of peer mentors. Um, I've got one group I meet with monthly and um, of entrepreneurs and, and writers. And and you know what? We're all super busy people, but we always make time for it because it's so important. We you know share our wins. We, we talk about what challenges. We get input. Uh, so I find peer mentor thing really important for me at the moment. Mm, for sure, for sure. I, I know in the U.S. there's um, there's the entrepreneurs organization, the young entrepreneurs organization. Um, in in Canada, they do they have similar sorts of things, like a larger. Oh yeah, tons, right? Yeah. Like I go to events all the time. The local and chapter also of ones X. that are, yeah. are focused on on women businesses, women owned and run businesses, which is great too, like Company of Women. And there's some like local entrepreneurial. Um, yeah, um, like startup places and, mm-hmm. and we've got this one, the innovation factory that's local. That's, you know, all, like quite a hub for entrepreneurs and, and startups. So, you know, you can go there and find like-minded people and have a bit of a laugh and help each other out. Yeah, for sure. So for people that don't live in maybe a metro, major metropolitan area where they have the obvious startup hub or uh, a co-working space that has some of those additional um, groups or, you know, an entrepreneur's organization or something along those lines, how do you recommend, yeah. I've, I've, we've all seen the power of the that mastermind sort of approach, you know, in all right. of our lives here, everybody right. involved with this show. And so it's an amazing thing what happens when you bring people together who have different experiences and, and skills to, to share with each other and to support. How do you advise somebody that doesn't have that immediately available to them to find that or build that support system? You know, it's funny. I, um, I, uh, I say create it yourself. I have people always tell me like, I'm so lucky. I live in such a nice neighborhood and all like, as all of the neighbors are so nice, we're all really close and all the kids play and, and, um, and I actually often say it's, it has nothing to do with luck. Like, you know what? I get myself out there. I invite neighbors over. I started a mom's Facebook group that 250 people are on. I organize a big Easter egg hunt in the park that hundreds of kids come to. Like, you know what? If it's not there, create it. Don't wait for somebody else. You know, there's no such thing as luck. The stuff doesn't fall on you. Go find it. Right. Because they're yeah. out there. Well, and with the the way the web's designed right now with AngelList oh, and exactly. LinkedIn and other places, I mean, you can find other people regionally oh, to you in a heartbeat. So different now. Like I think about yeah. when we started, like think about it now. You can just, I can go online at any time and hit one of my online groups and be like, hey, pressing question. Have you guys ever had, you know, an employee do this? And what was the response? Do you know anything about the HR law around it? And I'll have answers like in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. Like, remember the old days? We didn't have that, oh, right? No. Like, Holy yeah. cow, it's amazing. Yeah, it was go to the library, find a book that was 10 years out of yeah. date, yeah. Try, and, try and learn from that and, and apply yeah. it. So uh, what, what's, uh, what are some things that, that you, I, I assume to scale a company from zero to sold in 13 years and go through all the different plateaus and dips and in, in, um, valleys and peaks and all that stuff, you, yeah. you, you learned a lot along the way. What were the resources that you turned to for a lot of that learning? Were, were you a big reader? Did you check out websites? Obviously, so we talked about the mentor were, thing. Yeah, you know, we always tried to, I mean, I don't think I've read like a f- book of fiction in about 13 years. <laughs> no, it, um, yeah, you and you me know, both. It's a lot of reading business books, a lot of reading blogs. It's a lot of going to conferences. It's going to listen to speakers. It's learning, learning, and more learning. And, and and really, I always say like the key to being able to grow your business and to keep that mind open and to learn is to really like the very best thing you can do is leave your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. How do uh, people do that? How do you train people to do that? Because you just you touched on a few things. Like you guys were not afraid to ask the quote unquote dumb question, right? Yeah. You're you're not afraid. I think setting up setting up uh, a construct of oneself that you know things, you've arrived, you are X. I think creates that barrier because now you have to act consistently with that. How do you advise people to kind of be able to be humble in that fashion and make the mistake and ask the dumb question? Yeah, it just, I don't know. I know people have different personalities and they have different insecurities and whatever based on, you know, history or childhood, who knows what. But Mm -hmm. I just think that the more honest you are, um, the more you learn and the better you're going to do. So, you know, if you're, if you're, got that like imposter syndrome or whatever you're so afraid you're going to get found out get found out put it Mm -hmm. out there make yourself vulnerable and let people help you yeah rip the band-aid off (laughs) that exactly do it quickly and just come out of the closet i don't know what i'm talking about we don't know (laughs) that's funny i think dave and i had a conversation the other day where i was telling him about a business idea and i said i have no idea what i'm doing and then right. Dave, what did you say? Like nobody has any idea what they're nobody doing. Ever has nobody ever exactly. has. We, we never figured out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You just, you know what? It just if you've got a little bit of an appetite for risk and you're pretty, you know, ballsy, then you just do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick up the pieces later, right? That's it, exactly. And you know what? There's no, there's no failing. There's only learning. That's for sure. Oh, that's a great yeah. quote. Great quote. So you, you you talked about a lot of things that 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 dive into some values that you guys have held and that you obviously you hold in terms of being honest and, and open and those sorts of things. What how did you maintain and establish that culture with your organization both at the start and how and, and as it grew? We we actually um, spent a lot of time kind of figuring out what's important to us. Um, we interviewed, uh, the four partners, we interviewed all of our staff managers and and really spent some time together developing what, you know, what we hire and fire by, like what, what's so important to us and developing those core values and really trying to, to integrate those into our everyday life. And actually it's really amazing once you've developed your core values and everybody knows them and they're just part of the culture it makes it actually makes decision making a lot easier Mm -hmm, totally and i've had this happen so many times where you know maybe a brand wants to work with us and do something and i feel funny about the brand for whatever reason and then i go to our core values and i'm like you know what that that's not a fit based on core values so that decision is made or you know it just helps really direct um, and, and take a lot of the guesswork out of decision-making. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so Which true. is helpful, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it comes yeah. back to the systems part too. I mean, when you have solid systems and people running them and accountabilities and the values and everything set up, it's, you're not spending your time thinking through that. You're not wasting your brain power on that kind of a thing. You're just, exactly. you're spending your time doing things that, that move the company forward. So what, what do you do now? What, what is, what is your role and, and how do right. you plug in to help drive things forward? Right. Okay. So, um, end of, uh, end of December was the sale. So we started off the new year, um, with Avery being the new owner and one of my business partners, my sister, actually, she, from the start said, Oh, she wanted to transition out. Cause she's got some other ideas of stuff she wants to do. Mm-hmm. So she transitioned out and finished end of March and left her departments in, you know, perfect, beautiful shape. Mm-hmm. And the other three of us stayed on and we've signed a one-year contract. And we'll see how we feel after the year or how they feel about us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought one year was probably a good amount of time because if it wasn't, if I wasn't feeling the love, then, you know, you can do anything for a year. Right. But I also really wanted to make sure that this was left in the best possible hands. Um, and who's to say I'll leave? I may say, yeah. and really what I'm doing is what I was doing before, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, getting the Mabel word out there, building relationships, writing, speaking, just being the spokesperson and, uh, spreading the Mabel love Absolutely. and they see, they really see the value in that, which is amazing, which, which is, which is amazing. I mean, you think about it. it I mean, so, from, so let's talk, let's talk about size. Cause we've, we've had some candid conversations as real people here. It, your, your company is not, I mean, it's a mid-sized company, but it's, you've, there's 50 million labels you guys have sold hundred countries. There's celebrity endorsements. There's all sorts of things. I yeah. mean, this is not, this is not a small venture anymore. No. And there we go. No, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. And, um, <laughs> You know, and this is what I love about ha- having Avery involved now is that, you know, they've got the, um, you know, they've got the money and the finance and the know-how behind to grow this company even more. I mean, there we had a retail product. We have a retail product that's in Walmart and other places. Um, 
but they are they are going to know exactly how we can just bring that to the next level right like that is really exciting just bringing in that brain power and that experience from a company like avery and applying that to mabel's labels i'm just so excited about that oh yeah there's there's sky's the limit it's amazing to see what what could be possible at that point too and 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 then i know that was part of your decision making process when you guys decided to to strike a deal with them is the idea that that investment at the right time could scale it even further could get the message out even further um so you know obviously you have that side of your life right now you you also got six kids you've you know the family aspect you guys seem to have been able to manage that whole process pretty well along the way and i'm sure there were bumps in the road i mean nobody's nobody's not done the 24 7 work week once in a while but how did you keep that balance how did you keep the the idea of not losing your soul along the way as you scale the company Right. Um, you know what? I think having all the kids keeps things in perspective. I think my perspective has been very helpful when, um, you know, when things are crazy at Mabel's Labels and everybody's running around, you know, hair on fire and got to get the labels out the door. I'm like, you know what, guys, let's just keep it in perspective here. Mm-hmm. We're not saving lives here. We're making labels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we haven't pulled out the defibrillator. Like I'm not <laughs> doing the Heimlich maneuver. So let's just keep in mind we make labels. And yes, of course, we take our business very seriously. And of course, we've got to get these things out the door. But a little bit of perspective really goes a long way. Um, I, I really don't sweat the small stuff. I don't stress out about, you know, giving my kids perfect meals. I don't stress out about my house being perfect. I don't stress out about much. Really, qu- quite frankly, mm-hmm. I don't stress out about much. There's very little that stresses me out because it's just so pointless. It mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. I don't feel guilty about things if I start to feel like I'm off balance, I make changes mm-hmm. because guilt is so like not proactive. I don't complain. I'm not a complainer because, you know, I, I've never said I'm tired and that's led to me getting more sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think it's worth complaining about things. If something's wrong, make a change and, and move on. So I think that I think I'm just the right personality, honestly, for a crazy life. <laughs> because I just, you know, a lot of my friends would be like, I just could not leave your life, Julie. I just, I could not. I'm like, yeah, but I don't worry. I don't worry about a lot of the stuff that you really worry about. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's a free pass. It's a huge weight off my shoulders. Right, right. right. It's perspective, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a different sort of approach. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. what's next for you? What's, what's on the horizon? What are the, uh, right. are the things that well, you know, you're, look- you're relatively young at this point in time, right? Yeah, at this point in time, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. all are. At Tomorrow, this point. you'll be much less young. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, uh, well, I'm here for at least a year, and we'll see. We'll see how we feel about that, and if you know, if there's um, if it's time for me to move on, then I have lots of ideas, and I have lots of skills and things I've learned along the way, and. Who knows? I have quite a, I have a pretty strong feeling I'll land on my feet. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and yeah. you do some consulting on the side, or offer advice to people as well, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, just you you want to make yourself available to help other entrepreneurs Absolutely. because other entrepreneurs helped me in the early days, right? You got to give back. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to admit, it was getting um, it was getting a bit much. Mm-hmm. I did have to rein it in. So I very um, I came up with a very good plan where I let people. I set you know a half day a month and set up forty minute appointments, and people can come in. And then I don't feel like it's every day or every mm-hmm. you know because I that's beautiful. at the end of the day I also have to. Um, make the labels, you know, like got to make the yes. labels. <laughs> I'm not a consultant, right? And I'm not right. getting paid to be a consultant. I want to give back. So a half day a month is what I feel I can do. And if somebody can't come that time, then they can sign up for the next time. Absolutely. And, awesome. uh, and that works well because I like at the end of the day with the six kids in the business, I have to be very productive. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have, there's no time to be wasted. Absolutely. I love that yeah. idea. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely taking this down. The, the idea of batching it together. Um, yeah. Cause you want to, you yeah. do, you want to give back. You want to be able to provide uh, help to somebody else because I mean, we all had that along the way. Exactly. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, if you were sitting in my seat, Julie, in, mm-hmm. And you had a successful entrepreneur at the other end of the horn, shall we say. <laughs> and, okay. your, and your listeners were people who were either wanting to start a company or had started a company and scaled it a little bit. Um, what, would, what advice would you want to hear from a Julie Cole? Um, I think the one piece of advice that I would give to somebody who wants to start a business, particularly if you're in the position we were, which we were young moms, and we were going to leave professions that, you know, paid well and all that jazz. Um, you better make pretty darn sure your spouse or partner 
is 100% supportive of your idea and your venture, because if they are not, you will fail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people think, oh yeah, you know, he or she thinks it's okay and whatever. But I mean, honestly, when I'm handing babies over, walking out the door, gone to 2 a.m., coming back at six, doing the same thing, nothing in the bank account for two years. Look, that's that's what they're signing up for. Mm-hmm. So you better make sure that there's full disclosure of what it's going to mean. Everybody understands. Put the cards on the table. And if there's not 100% support, then you better rethink it or you better you better rethink your relationship or something because something's <laughs> going to break. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'll, yeah. that'll preach. That's, that's good yeah. sound advice right there. That's yeah. fantastic. What about from the standpoint of um, getting the help you need? So the support system, I mean, you talked about the idea of just reaching out and being proactive about that. Um, you know, any other advice along the, along the way for somebody that's already started? Yeah. Um, you know what? There are a lot of resources out there now and a lot of, um, a lot of, communities have business resources available for free there's funding you can get mm-hmm. look into getting some funding there's sponsorships especially you know if you're young or if you're a female or minority whatever there might be other opportunities for you to get some funding so really you know really um really do your research really find out and get a business plan together really get it make a plan because if you don't force yourself to do that, I know it's boring, but it will help guide you and it will help you um, just stay on track. You know, there's a lot of shiny objects along the way. And I know, you know, entrepreneurs get distracted by shiny objects. Mm -hmm. So you need to stay focused and a business plan will help you with that. No, that's brilliant advice. That's brilliant advice. Well, I mean, this has been fantastic. I think we've, we've, dove down into the weeds we've told the story we've been able to kind of ascertain how you got there what happened along the way how you kept it balanced what's important to you um this has been awesome we really really appreciate you taking this time to share with our listeners uh, your story of starting and scaling and selling mabel's labels and uh julie thanks so much how can people learn more about mabel's labels and about you oh uh, well they could come to our website mabelslabels.com and i can be found pretty much anywhere twitter at julie cole um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find my blogs, um, off the Mabel site and, you know, you can find me at Huffington Post, Modern Mom, Yummy Mommy Club, bunch of places. Anyways, anyone who wants to find me, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> You're out there. You're out there. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me guys. Yeah. Oh, thanks so bet. much for being on. It was great. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.